Welcome to Strength for Today's Pastor, conversations with current senior pastors and leaders which will strengthen and help you in your pastoral ministry. And now, here's your host, Bill Holdridge of Poyman Ministries. Welcome to podcast number 155. Today we are with Gary Malkus Jr., who is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, Victorville, California. And we're going to hear his story and the story of him and his wife, how they met, how they came together, uh, and then how the Lord propelled them, launched them into ministry. So uh, that's what we've got coming up. It's an amazing story, so hope you have a chance to listen to all of it. Gary, welcome. So good to see you by Zoom. Great to be and, here with you. <laughs> and so great to, to talk with you and meet you more in depth yesterday. But, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's just a, an amazing story. Amazing when, you know, we're, we're thinking about the grace of God over, the, over a person's lifetime. And you've experienced the grace of God. I've experienced the grace of God. But stories of grace stories of mercy, stories of reconciliation are so powerful. And yours is one of those, as is mine, in a different way, but it's just great. So for those who may be discouraged in their lives, discouraged in their ministries, I think this is going to be really encouraging. So why don't we just start, Gary, by you introducing yourself a little bit, who you are, where you live, uh, you know, those kinds of details, just let us get to know who Gary Malkus Jr. is. Well, uh, I live in Apple Valley, California. I serve the Lord uh, in uh, Victorville, California. Um, I was raised here in the high desert. Uh, I attended Calvary Chapel Feeling my whole childhood, Pastor Larry Anderson. And uh, my dad was his assistant for 30 years. Um, I, I began to rebel against the Lord about 15 years old. Um, I can't tell you what the catalyst was. I know that I seen a lot of hypocrisy, you know, I seen also the way my dad was treated in the ministry and that was difficult for me as a kid. And he was always uh, torn away from the family and I know my dad would tell you today one of his biggest regrets is the ministry time taking him away from, from his kids. And if he could do it all over again, that he would have reversed that priority. And he, he's always encouraging me that with my own children oh, today. That's great. That's great to have that. Yeah. PKs, it's, it's a whole class of people to be a PK. My son's a PK. He's a, he's a pastor himself. And and, yeah. you know, all of those things that your father has said to you and thought and felt about himself, I, I felt those same things. I get that, and, and, I, and I understand that. But, you know, there's so much history there. 30 years in assist, as assistant pastor on his part, and now he's, he's yeah. pastor in Calvary Chapel, Apple Valley. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. and he's been doing that for a while. So yes, a, a time yeah. of rebellion at age 15 and looking at how the church treated your dad and, and what the demands were on his life. Yes. Yeah. And so that started me down a road of compromise. Of course, I was in public school and some of the teachers I respected, you know, they began challenging the worldview that I was raised in. And I, I really enjoyed biology. And I remember the first time my teacher taught evolution 
and there was a, a woman I respected and I enjoyed her class. And that kind of just got me thinking differently and, and challenging everything that I had known growing up. And um, I, I just started to rebel against the church, looking, uh, looking for answers in, in every area except um, the Word of God. And uh, I was playing football, of course, and you, you're introduced to a party scene as a football player. As a sophomore, I was taken up to the varsity team, so I was hanging out with the upperclassmen and uh, started drinking sophomore year. And uh, alcohol by my senior year had gripped my life. And I was a full-blown alcoholic by the time I graduated high school. Mm. Um, my dad, when I was 18 years old, he sat me down in the living room and uh, it was one of the hardest conversations I ever had with my dad. But looking back, I'm so grateful for it. And he sat me down and he said, son, you are not living according uh, to the way that I want to run this household in a godly manner. It is time for you as a man to go start your own household. And, you know, so he, he kicked me out. And mm. uh, I felt two emotions. I know that my dad, he instilled in me a, a work ethic and I know that looking back, he had prepared me for that moment as a man. Uh, I was uh, devastated that I was, you know, asked to, to leave the house, the, the home that I've known for 18 years. Uh, but I, I understood that I, me and my dad, we, we weren't uh, equally yoked. We weren't on the same page. And I went out and started to make a life for myself. Um, construction was how I earned my living. And I, I did fairly well at it supported my addiction and uh, I ended up getting a young lady pregnant in the party scene and we were both actually raised in the church and we knew that uh, our lifestyle would be challenging for our, our parents to, to accept both being Christians, uh, Christian families. And, we, you know, we were living together in sin and, and partying and she got pregnant and uh, we decided that we should have an abortion. And um, we went through with that and it was a terrible experience and that could be a whole podcast in itself. Yeah. Wow. I, I absolutely hate Planned Parenthood and for the things that I've seen and experienced through that. And, um, but in order for us to cover up our guilt for that decision that we made, we thought, you know what, we should get married. We, we were just partying and partying and partying, trying to cover up the guilt. And uh, we ended up uh, getting married. And, uh, but a marriage that is based in that party scene it just it doesn't work, and uh, my alcoholism only increased. And three years into the marriage, uh, we both had cheated on each other, and uh, we decided it was uh, time to end it. And it was at that time that I was introduced to methamphetamine uh, to cover up the pain that I was experiencing, the anger that I had, the guilt that I had, and at that same time period, uh, as I was going through that divorce, I had met uh, a new girl and we both got into that lifestyle of methamphetamine together. And 
It's interesting because when I started doing meth, I thought that I was healed of my alcoholism because I, I didn't drink when I did meth and alcohol destroyed so much of my life. I thought, hey, I'm healed, you know, and I didn't understand that I was trading uh, one for the worse. And that meth addiction uh, just took me to the lowest uh, possible place. Me and my new girlfriend, um, who is my wife today, actually, uh, she had no encounter with Jesus Christ her whole entire life. Her dad, her father was uh, the president of the Long Beach chapter of the Mongols Motorcycle Club, which is an outlaw uh, gang. So my, my girlfriend at that time only knew violence in her life. And uh, I would listen to her stories. Being a PK, my dad was also a reserve deputy. We were from two different worlds. Mm -hmm. And I was so intrigued by her life, you know, and the story she would tell, I could only relate to in movies. It was incredible what the things that she had been through and seen. And uh, she taught me how to really run on the streets successfully, I guess, run with the devil. And uh, I told you this yesterday. I remember, you know, the nights that we would be spun out and I would have this thought that if the God of my father ever got a hold of this young lady that he would use her life for great things. And so having that thought, I did all that I could to keep her from encountering Jesus Christ. And uh, I don't know why it was a, a demonic uh, mm. thought, a mm. demonic thing, but I did not want her. I thought Jesus would ruin our fun, mm. you know? Mm. And wow. uh, so here in the high desert, we got into a lot of trouble and uh, I, decided I needed to move out. Um, there was an old employer of mine who uh, had a company in Lake Havasu City, and he said he would uh, get me on my feet out there and give me a job, and I started framing houses out there. And um, she came, uh, her father drove her out there, and, and uh, we began living together out there. But as I told you yesterday, the first job site that I walked onto, the crew leader uh, was a dope dealer. And, you know, we went out there with the intent, like, let's get out of this lifestyle. And, and we were right back in it. And even deeper than we were here in California. And things just got worse. Hey, hang and, on just a second, uh, Gary. Yeah. This, I mean, all of this is so much to take in right now. <laughs> I mean, you know, for somebody that's listening to this, they're going, whoa, Dad. I mean, <laughs> I, here you are rebelling against what you grew up with and you're an alcoholic you become a meth addict and you know people are saying that meth addicts can't ever recover they can't ever heal and now you're a pastor and you have a girlfriend who's also a meth addict and she grew up in a biker gangster environment and was a street girl yes and all of these things i mean the the normal person would say there's no chance for this couple there's no opportunity there's no no possibility that their lives yeah. are going to amount to anything but now you're pastoring a church and your your wife Jess is the wife of a senior pastor she's a pastor's wife i mean who to thunk these things this is incredible yeah i i i can say that without jesus a meth addiction is 
virtually impossible to overcome. I know that I tried and tried many times, and you know, my attempts wouldn't last more than a week. Um, but something really interesting happened when we got to Lake Havasu City. Um, my father um, went to a pastor's conference. I can't tell you which one it was, but he met Pastor Ray Carter, who was the pastor at Calvary Chapel, Lake Havasu. And my dad broke and uh, poured his heart out to Pastor Ray. And they prayed at that pastor's conference that uh, we would come uh, to Calvary Chapel, Lake Havasu. You know, that's a far reaching prayer. We weren't, I I didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And um, I told you yesterday, uh, my wife had one encounter before she came out and moved uh, to Lake Havasu City with me. Her dad, realizing that he had wasted his whole um, fatherhood trying to raise his daughter in 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 a right way, and he missed every opportunity that he had. He did this desperate attempt to try to change his daughter's life and he took her to see the movie the passion of the christ he didn't know how to explain jesus to her he didn't know how to explain the gospel to her but this movie had just come out in the movie theaters and he took her to see that movie and my wife the way that she tells it you know it's a hard movie it's in subtitles and but she said uh that when she watched jesus go to the cross that she knew that that man was on the cross for her Mm. nobody had explained it to her and she wept and wept in that movie theater she could not understand how such a good man could die for such a person like her and she tells me if there was an evangelist or a pastor somebody to explain it to her right there she would have given her life to Mm. jesus Mm. but that was the seed planted and so here we are in Lake Havasu City. We are partying. We, we had been up all weekend. It's Easter Sunday, 2004. And uh, we, I hadn't slept all weekend. We are up uh, all weekend. And uh, early, before the sun came up on Easter uh, morning, Jessica tells me, I want to go to church. And I said, what do you mean you want to go to church? You don't want anything to do with that place or those people. Where is this coming from? And she had such a desperation. I'll never forget it. She was set on going to church. And so um, I had to go with her to play interference because I knew what would happen if Jesus got a hold of her, you know. So I, <laughs> we, we went to church. We went to sunrise service there at Calvary Chapel, Lake Havasu City, uh, the very church my dad prayed that we would end up at. And Pastor Ray, he gave a clear gospel message. And at the end of the message, she looks at me and she says, I'm going up there. I'm receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And, and, and mind you, the whole service, I'm, I'm like, oh, man, these people are hypocrites. Look, they're going to ask for money. They're, you know, and, and just pointing out all the negative. I was like, I've been around this my whole life. And when she said that, it was like a demonic fear came over me. I just got mm. desperate, Bill. Mm. And, I, and I followed her up to the altar like a puppy dog, just pleading <laughs> with her, don't do this. You know? Wow. And, you actually uh, spoke to her? You actually were talking to her? Oh, don't yeah. do this? Don't, don't, yeah. And then uh, she prayed. And uh, that was her first encounter with Pastor Ray. And he asked uh, who we were, and uh, she explained who we were, and told her my uh, told him my name, and his eyes got big. Yeah. And he's like, "I just met your dad. We just prayed for you." And I was like, "Oh, great! You know, this <laughs> this is big conspiracy, you know." And uh, so we were leaving, and Jessica's crying, 
And I'm telling her, this isn't real. I've seen this my whole life. This, this is just a crutch for weak people. And, and she looked at me with the tears in her eyes. She said, something is different in me. Things are going to change. And I, I told you yesterday, she was 89 pounds at that point, 18 years old, sucked up on methamphetamine. And wow. we were monsters, monsters of iniquity. And she, uh, she changed. I, I would leave drugs out for her every day, and she wouldn't touch it. And she was going to church regularly, and I watched that 89-pound uh, tweaker girl just blossom into this beautiful woman of God. And uh, I knew that she had something, you know, and, and I had tried to quit methamphetamine so many times. And I, I knew that what she was experiencing was uh, something pretty incredible, but uh, I, I still didn't want anything to do with it. Pastor Ray started putting things in her head like we were living in sin, you know, and <laughs> we need, and <laughs> so she gave me an ultimatum that I marry her or else uh, she's going to move back home. And I didn't want to get married. I, I uh, just divorced, and, uh, but I didn't want to lose her. She was uh, something special to me. And so I called my dad, and he told me, son, uh, come home this weekend, uh, get a marriage certificate, and I'll marry you guys in the living room, and we'll make this right before the Lord. And uh, he did. And my, I, my little sister was our witness, and she was there in her pajamas, and we got married right there in the, the living room of my dad's home, and uh, we went back to Lake Havasu to, to start our lives. I, uh, huh. I promised her that I would clean up, and I would stop doing the things that I was doing, and uh, that was a, a deception. For six months, I lied to her about my addiction and hid it from her. And I just remember one day, uh, guilt just overcoming me. A guilt like I had never felt before. Shame. Mm -hmm. I've never felt shame over the things that I was doing at this degree. And it was almost unbearable. And I was uh, talking on the phone to my best friend before I went into our apartment and I, I told him, I was like, I have to confess everything to her. And I just remember his last words. This was our last conversation we had with each other. And I said, I have to confess everything to her. And he said, well, good luck with that, man. <laughs> <laughs> I walked into the apartment and I, I sat her down and I said, listen, I've been lying to you for six months. I'm, I'm still using. I'm, I, I confessed everything that I had been doing. And uh, we had a napkin holder there on the kitchen table. She picked it up, threw it through the wall, and she said, uh, you're the only person I've ever trusted. You're the only person I've given my heart to, and you've broken my heart. And uh, she just went quiet. And I thought, well, here I did it again. I ruined another marriage, and uh, we're done. And she ended up getting in the car, and I got in with her, and we drove around Lake Havasu for about 30 minutes in silence. And... She parked in front of the Blockbuster video there in, in Lake Havasu, and uh, this is the moment that changed my life forever. And she looked at me, and she says, you know, I forgive you, and I know that you'll never do it again. She said, Jesus has forgiven me of so much mm. that I can't do anything but forgive you. And it was in that moment, Bill, that everything in my life clicked. My whole childhood being raised in the church, being taught about the grace of God, receiving this uh, undeserved forgiveness. And in that moment, I got it. I understood what it meant to be forgiven. And uh, 
that was my journey now back to the Lord. And um, it was about a week later where I had my conversion moment. And, and I didn't tell you this part yesterday, but it was uh, about a week later. And I had not used from that time that Jess had forgiven me, but I was looking to. And uh, I went to go meet my dope dealer and I just couldn't couldn't do it. Circumstances wouldn't allow. And I, I remember walking out on the sidewalk and just looking up to the sky. And I said, help, I need your help, Lord. And it was in that moment that I felt a power come over me. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was changed. Mm. And I can't explain it to you, but I just knew something was mm. different. But those drugs no longer had a hold on me. I went home to our apartment and uh, I grabbed a beer out of the refrigerator because that's usually how I, I would cope with the, those kinds of moments. And I took a drink and it was the most disgusting taste <laughs> I had ever tasted. And and I, I, I was considering that because beer was like my best friend. Bud Light it went everywhere with me in my life. And it was always there for me through the ups and downs. And uh, I thought, well, I guess you took that too. And I dumped out all the beer and... He took the cigarettes, he took it all in one swoop, and uh, that was the beginning of our, our journey with the Lord. And Pastor Ray, he took us in, and, and he began discipling us immediately. Jessica's first father figure was Pastor Ray, and uh, mm-hmm. still to this day. This week, he was at our house visiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he just loves Jess, and he, he calls her uh, his daughter, and... Um, I'm his spiritual son, or as Timothy is what he usually calls me, and mm-hmm. uh, we began serving, and he, he got us busy right away. He put us right into the ministry, and it's funny because my wife, not having any church growing up, had no knowledge of the Word, and so he put us in with the three- to five-year-olds teaching the kids, mm. And she began to learn the Old Testament through the lessons that we were teaching those those kids in that classroom. Mm. And uh, we stayed there for a while, and, and he moved us around. Uh, every time those doors were open, we were in the church. He was always having us over for his family dinners. And um, he moved us uh, then to the junior high ministry. And then um, that's where we, we finished out there. He ordained me as a youth pastor. Um, How long did that take? Six years. S- six six years, years. Six years? Yeah. So this whole story, Gary, I mean... There are so many elements to it. I mean, it's encouraging to me as a pastor, I think probably for everybody who's listening to this, but you've got the element of of the cr- the cross itself, you know, as Jess saw the passion of the Christ, you know, and as you were telling that story, I'm thinking the the message of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but unto us who are being saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. And she she saw Jesus dying for her. Yes. That's exactly what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus said, how do you get born again? Well, you're a teacher of Israel. You, you should know these things. But as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man's going to be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Basically, Jesus said, when you see Jesus hanging on the cross for you, that's when the new birth will occur. And, 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 and that's when it will start. And so there's the preaching of the cross. We can't neglect the preaching of the cross. And then the, the element of the conviction of sin. I mean, Jess was convicted of sin. You were convicted of sin. 
and and it became huge when you began to feel shame and guilt for the first time. So there's the yeah. the the confidence in the work of the Holy Spirit to convict the the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, like it says in John chapter sixteen. You've got the element of victory over life-dominating sins like meth addiction, alcohol addiction, gangster lifestyle addiction, you know, all yeah. of these things <laughs> that people say you can't recover from, but mm. the the Holy Spirit did it. And then yes. Pastor Ray's investment in you. Yes. You know, and and pouring into you. We talk about reaching the next generation, which we're going to get to in another episode, but uh he poured into you guys. He he paid attention to you, and he included you, and invested in you, and and for six years you got discipled in the Lord and in ministry. I mean, yes. these are all very transferable concepts. This isn't hard to understand, but when we lose the the framework, when we lose the perspective on these different elements that occurred in your lives, uh, then then we wonder. How can we reach? How can we do? How can we, well, preach the cross, trust the Holy Spirit to provide conviction, invest in people's lives, uh, make disciples, get people involved in ministry as soon as you can. Those are the transferable mm. concepts. Yeah, and you understand, too, um, there were many in the church that considered where Jess and I had come out of, and uh, they made it a point to tell us that we would never be in the ministry, you know? And, and you know, I felt a calling on, on my life shortly after I converted to Jesus Christ. And it was a joke to a lot of people. And as I told you yesterday, as I was coming on the scene, the Bible college was really active. And it was a sea of skinny jean wearing youth pastors coming on the scene. <laughs> and and I was not from that mold. And I, I, I was um, really ostracized. I remember one lady in the church sending me an email just making a point that I would never be a pastor, that I needed a certain type of education, I needed a certain level of learning. And, uh, and Pastor Ray, uh, he just saw something different in us, e even at times when we didn't see it. And he gave us a chance. And something that he did is he let us fail a lot. You know, he put us in there and uh, Sometimes I wasn't as articulate as I should have been, you know, when he would let me teach or whatever, but he just kept giving me a shot. And uh, fast forward to when I served with my dad, my dad was the same way, always just giving you a shot, even through the failure, through the mess ups and just believing uh, that there was a calling in my life. Mm -hmm. And those two men uh, really changed the outlook because I would have given up with all those voices in our life telling us that we would never be in the ministry, if it wasn't for Pastor Ray and my dad pushing us along, we would have. I would probably still be building houses to this day. <laughs> well, you know, your your situation uh, could be viewed by many as an extreme situation and an amazing, conquering, way above the ordinary testimony of grace, that type of thing. But the reality is, is that this is typical of Calvary Chapel is that we have been given a chance. We've been given an opportunity. I remember talking to a pastor once who accidentally invited me to be one of his board members. I went down <laughs> to the church to meet him for the first board member uh, meeting, and, and he said, oh, you're not the person I thought you were. 
I invited somebody <laughs> else, I thought. But anyway, you can be on the board. Anyway, we got into a conversation, and that was the topic. Who, who else would have given us a chance? So, you know, as, as we fast forward now and in, in getting into the next phase, you know, post um, Lake Havasu City and serving with your dad and then uh, eventually moving into uh, assuming the pastorship of Calvary Chapel Victorville, there's a, a parallel between what happened to you and what happens to many of us in being part of Calvary Chapel, but also uh, what happened in the days of the Jesus movement where Pastor Chuck gave a lot of us opportunities. And and he wasn't afraid to do that. And he loved us. And he wanted us to, to do well as long as we stayed in the Word, walked with the Lord, that kind of stuff, and taught the people. So you took over... Calvary Chapel, Victorville. I'll let you tell that story, but uh, and what led up to that? <laughs> well, uh, I was serving contently with my father there at Calvary Chapel, Apple Valley, as his assistant, uh, youth pastor, and then young adult pastor. And we had plans there at Apple Valley that when my dad would retire, that I would assume uh, the responsibility of senior pastor at that church. Uh, without going into great detail, a year prior to me going to Victorville, I was asked to candidate at a different church, and, and it just didn't work out. And it was actually a, a humbling experience, but what it did is it served as a purpose to kind of break us loose, to tr change our thought that I might be called out one day. And like that conversation when I was 18 years old, um, my dad had a similar conversation with me. He called me into his office. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, son, I know we had these plans put in place, but there's a, a hurting church down the street um, that I think I'm going to send you to. And um, the church was about to close its doors and, uh, in a really bad way. It had a lot of history. Calvary Chapel of Victorville was founded by Pastor Paul Smith. And... Uh, Beautiful who, facility who Smith, that was. But for of, those that don't know, Paul Smith, Pastor Chuck's brother. Yes, the ministry never really uh, took off because uh, when Paul was called down to Costa Mesa, he would he would always wanted to support his brother. So uh, there was always this back and forth, and um, a pastor came after Pastor Paul, and uh, the church. Uh, the the pastor was a great guy. It, it just declined under him, and I don't know much about him. I don't want to disparage him, but he, the church was about to close. He was 12 years into the ministry, and uh, he was ready to retire. And so he called my dad and asked if he had anybody to send down there, and so my dad sent me down. And uh, the week before I was going to go and, and see the church, I sent uh, my uh, youth worship pastor to go down and spy out the land. His name is Joshua. I wanted him to go spy out the land. And, <laughs> uh, Josh called me after the church service. I had him spy it out and he said, well, there's 15 people in the church. And I thought he said 50 and I was excited. I was like, oh, 50. We, we can do a lot with 50 people. And he said, no, no, pastor, 15 people in the sanctuary. And, uh, my heart kind of sank, you know, and, and, um, I, I headed over to Victorville to see the 
See, what was going on and what had happened is the, the homeless had taken over the children's ministry building. They had an encampment around it. They were sleeping inside of it. They were prostituting themselves out of the children's ministry. They were dealing drugs out of it. Um, the pastor, prior to me being there, he had a heart to minister to the homeless, but he didn't understand uh, the street people. And my wife and I, we had a healthy understanding because we had lived that lifestyle. And um, so we informed the homeless that when my start date came, that there was going to be changes. And uh, they knew that there was a difference in the way that I saw things and the way that I communicated with them. And um, I told you uh, the day that I started I parked in the parking lot and I watched a homeless man. Uh, he was masturbating on the side of the children's ministry. And I, in that moment, when I saw that, I, I told the Lord, I can't do this. There's no way that a church will ever thrive in this neighborhood. And, and I want to go back to Apple Valley. I, I had, you know, a good salary and our family had just started to grow. We had uh, three kids and there was security in Apple Valley, and uh, Joshua 1.9 came to mind. And I just quoted that verse over and over again, and, and that's what got me out of the car. And I took a couple steps, and I walked into the office, and I started uh, there. And it, it was um, right after that, my start date, that I showed up again uh, the next day. And as I told you yesterday, it was incredible. The homeless had cleared out. There wasn't even trash left on the ground. They cleared up all their tents, all everything. And um, what had happened is a rumor had spread between them that I was an undercover cop. <laughs> and <laughs> they, they all fled. And uh, so that we, we spent weeks cleaning up, uh, rearranging the children's ministry. And uh, my simple approach. The only thing I knew to do was to teach the Bible, and that's what I got busy doing. I started in Genesis on Wednesday, and I started teaching the book of Romans on Sunday, verse by verse, and uh, the Lord began to add to the church weekly. Amen. And Amen. Yeah, we're so, eight years in now. Yeah, and so here's where the parallels are to me, to the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s. Um, Paul Smith was hoping, you know, that that church would really explode, but it really never got up to more than 100 people. And, but yet there was an opportunity given. I mean, he had a heart for the next generation. And then, uh, and so all of that happened. Uh, Pastor Chuck was hoping for a congregation of 250 when he was in the Foursquare denomination. And then he started teaching the Word of God and, and then kind of moved off from that those positions. And an explosion took place in Corona, California. And then eventually he, he started pastoring Calvary Chapel and just doing it the way he'd been doing it in Corona with a new way of leadership. And, and that took off. And then the, the Lord started blessing. And then, of course, there's connection with young people. So I see a lot of parallels, actually, with what's going on right now in Victorville and yeah. what was going on in the 60s and 70s. Because I was there in the 60s and 70s, yeah. and I felt it and experienced it. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, with Pastor Paul, he, he came back to the church. He had been gone uh, as the other pastor was there, and he came back with us. And he was one of our biggest supporters in the ministry. Ruth is still there every Sunday. 
and she's our biggest cheerleader. But to see the ministry through Pastor Paul's eyes, as I told you yesterday, he just loved the kids. And, and as life began to come to the campus, it was almost as if his vision for the church was starting to come uh, to fruition. And he would be out there with the kids in the courtyard, just playing with them and just walking around so happy. And uh, it was neat to see things through him. Uh, and, you know, he, he just passed away and uh, we just did his memorial. But Ruth is still there every week. She's encouraging us. And, uh, yeah, biggest supporters in the ministry. They brought a, a remnant with them back to the church and... My dad, who is our sending pastor, sent a handful of people from his church, and that was our core. And from that core, uh, by so that was February we started. By May, uh, we were at about 100 people. And uh, my dad had offered to, to help us financially until the end of the year, and it was at at that point when we were at 100 people that um, we were able to uh, release him from that support uh, way earlier than he anticipated, wow. which was really cool. Wow. What a lesson then, for, for anybody who, who assumes the leadership of an existing church. And something we've seen with Poyman Ministries, Gary, is that a lot of the younger guys, uh, they're not as into church planting as they used to be back in my day. Uh, where we planted, we were expected to plant, be pioneers, go to places where mm -hmm. it wasn't happening, and do it there. And if we survive, we're called. That was the the <laughs> the emblem of our calling. If we survive the experience, but a lot of guys aren't willing. Not it's not they're not willing. They just don't, aren't inclined that way. So they want to take over an existing church. But you have created yeah. inadvertent, not inadvertently, but just by following the Holy Spirit you've created a, a very visible template of what to do. You just go in knowing you're called, uh, do the things you've been trained to do, and teach yeah. the Bible and love the people and have confidence in the Lord, and the Lord adds daily to the church such as are being saved. That's what's happened in, in Victorville. Yeah. A lot of credit goes to my dad because I did not want to do it at first. And, and it, like I said, like when I was 18, it was like, you're going, uh -huh. <laughs> you're going, you know, and, and the thought of, of taking over Apple Valley when he was done was, a, you know, there's a lot of security in that. And looking back, I'm so grateful that he sent me out to experience the Lord in, in uh, a lot of ways that uh, the first generation did. I wouldn't have been able to experience or see the Lord in, in these incredible ways unless he had released me to go. Yeah, you and were seasoned. By the time you took over that fellowship, the Lord had seasoned you to be ready for that next phase of ministry. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we've seen, seen some incredible... I mean, still, uh, to this day, you know, I'm, I've been out... Uh, of the pulpit, I I can't go to the church because I broke my leg and the doctor has me bed bound and I'm I'm watching now. The church is still growing, um, people are still coming, and I'm not even there. And to me, that's a real humbling thing because I realize the work that is taking place there in Victorville has nothing to do with Gary Malchus at all. It's just God decided at this time that He was going to do something really neat there in Victorville. 
I was just the donkey that he chose at that moment to teach the Bible, to do it through, but he didn't need me. Uh, he could have done it with anybody. Uh, and uh, it's been a real eye-opening experience in this uh, season that I'm in. Uh, the doctrine of the sufficiency of God. He doesn't need anything, yes. and he certainly doesn't need no. us. Yeah. No. That's, that's fantastic. So um, you uh, referred earlier to Joshua 1.9, and I want you to to read that and just uh, use that as a word of encouragement to pastors that are listening to this podcast. But Joshua 1.9 was, is preceded, of course, by Joshua 1.8, which says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have Good success. So, how has Joshua one nine spoken to you, and and how is that an encouragement to pastors? Well, uh, I'll read it to you. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And if I was to focus on the circumstances that I was walking into there in Victorville, and focus on all the impossibilities and and uh, I would have lost sight of how big our God is and what can be done uh, with our God in that viewpoint. I know that I learned that I was a what-ifer. Well, what if it doesn't work? Mm. What if it doesn't uh, succeed? What if it all falls apart? What if uh, nobody comes back next week? And I was what-ifing in that direction, and I learned instead to what-if in the other direction. Well, what if God is in this? Amen. What if God oh, does want to move? What if, yeah, and, and so that just changing my thinking... Uh, the Philippians 4.8, you know, whatever things are true, good, noble, it, folk meditate on these things. And uh, I began to do that, and I had to teach the leadership there to, to do that because, you know, we have a tendency to be negative. Well, what if, you know, what, what if they, it, that person isn't the right person? But what if they are, you know, what if God is with them, you know? And, and so uh, that, that was a big catalyst in, in changing my thinking and to see things with eyes of faith instead of focusing on the circumstances and the hardships and the impossibilities before me. And uh, I've seen in these last eight years that uh, whatever is impossible, uh, God eats impossible for lunch, you know? And it, it's <laughs> no big deal to him. And, and he showed me that time and time again. Uh, so I mean, just, I remember you've... in the, the beginning days, we would be out of pens in the office and I'd be in the fetal position. How are we going to afford this, you know? And... And uh, he, he just came through every step of the way. And, uh, you know, we're at three services now. We started three services this February. And uh, people are coming. There's an excitement in the people. And, you know, to be honest, I'll, I'll listen to myself sometimes on YouTube. And I'm like, what are they coming for? I wouldn't come to this guy's church, you know, <laughs> but they're not coming for me. They're coming because yeah. the Lord is doing something really neat yeah. there. And, uh Humbling is the is the word that I I have right at my mind right now as I'm humbled by it all. Well, you know, you can quickly go back when we talked yesterday. You you quickly launched into your story, and you know how you came to Christ and the things that were leading up to that and all. And so you, that's always fresh in our minds, isn't it? You know where yes. we came from. Yeah. For me, I look back fifty and a half years ago when when the big change came for me. I was 
similar place. I was in a place of hopelessness, feeling horrible about the way I'd lived my life, under great guilt and shame as well. But a weird sense of, of hope was in my mind and heart, and I didn't know where it came from. As it turned out, it came from the Holy Spirit. But he wanted me to surrender and say, I can't do this. I have no power, and I don't even have the motivation to follow through with anything. I've tried before. It doesn't work. And kaboom, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And and so you have answered, really, how it is that you or any of us can be strong and of good courage and not be afraid, not be dismayed. It's because the Lord really is with us. And I love that that comment you made. You know, I need to I need to look at the the yeah buts, not in a negative sense, but what if the Lord does want to do this? What Yes. Yeah, say that again, because that's that's like worth the price of yeah. the podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, well I, I went into it just what ifing in the negative always. Yeah. You know, what if it won't work and uh I just started asking, what if God is in this? What if God does yeah. want to uh, wake up this church, this neighborhood? Understand the neighborhood we're in, we have a mosque right across the street, literally across the street. You could mm-hmm. throw rocks at it. That mosque had a, a church split, I guess, and they bought a, an abandoned church up uh, an, one block up. So there's two mosques sitting right there, right in the same neighborhood. Um, we have a homeless epidemic right there. There's a park next to us where the homeless have, have taken over. And uh, a lot of the, the stuff that we got in the beginning when we would invite people to church, oh, I would never take my kids in that neighborhood, you know. And um, we had uh, the Black Hebrew Nationalists. Uh, they're like a military group, and they, were, they would march Sunday in the park next to us and they would, as people were pulling into church, they would be in their military fatigues, marching in front of our church, shouting at people coming in. And uh, we ended up having to call the FBI, and the FBI removed them. But uh, the things that we encounter in that neighborhood, are, it's just absolutely incredible. There's no logical reason that a church should be thriving there in that neighborhood. And yet, uh, it is now. And every Sunday, um, the parking is full and people are parking in the neighborhood some weeks, you know, and there's, it, it's a light in a really dark area. Definitely. And against all odds, uh, God is doing an incredible work there in spite of us. And um, I know now this is something um, that is fresh because we do put the youth kids up in, in places like the worship team and uh, a lot of my staff came from the old youth group, from our current youth group even. And I know that now that we're getting more and more people into the church, one of the elders came to me and he had a really neat concern. And he said, I, I just want to make sure now that more people are coming that you don't change your model and believing in these young kids and putting them up. And if you look at our worship team, we have, you know, goofy junior high kids up there playing and, and just giving them a, a chance to serve the Lord as part of the body, you know. And uh, it was neat to me that his concern was that we don't lose that and trade it out for having um, a certain look, you know, and having professionalism up there. And he liked that we were uh, taking chances on people, oh, what if in the other direction. That's <laughs> great. That's outstanding. Well, the whole, perp- the whole answer to the thing is the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And, you know, Jesus promised the same thing, as, as we all know. 
in the Great Commission. Go into all the world, make disciples of the nations, teach them to observe all things I've commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with us when we do this, when we do the Great Commission. He's with us when we just let it happen, and it's his work. Well, you know, I just so appreciate this conversation, Gary. Your story is uh, a story of grace. And, you know, as you were talking about why this place, why with all these circumstances around us, two mosques and all these things going on, why are people, it's unlikely place. And I thought about it on a micro scale, you know, where, where Paul was writing about the, the uh, treasure of the light of the glorious gospel in the face of Christ. And then Paul says, we have this treasure, Christ himself. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. But there's a reason for it, Paul wrote, under the inspiration of the Spirit, that the excellence of the power might be of God and not of us. So there's no Amen. one that can look at me, there's no one that look in you, look at you or anybody else and say, oh, well, that makes sense. I can see why God's using them. No, it's not about that. It's just that the Lord has put a treasure in a pot of clay and said, I'm going to do that so that I'm the one and my resources are the, are, are the thing that people give glory to. Anyway, it's exciting. Thanks for joining us on this episode, and I so look forward to the next conversation about the youth. You kind of segued us into that conversation, but thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Strength for Today's Pastor. We've been with Pastor Gary uh, Malchus Jr., pastoring Calvary Chapel, Victorville, California, and what a tremendous story it's been. If you have need for pastoral support, if you have need for help concerning pastor and church revitalization, then please reach out to us at Poyman Ministries and the broadcast announcer will give you details on how to do that. Until next time, may the Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Poyman Ministries. You can find us at poinmanministries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N ministries.com. If something in today's program prompts a question or comment, or if you have a topic idea for a future episode, just shoot us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. That's strongerpastors at gmail.com. May the Lord bless you as you serve him, his pastors, and his church. Thank you.